We're back. Episode 24 <laughs> after our first bye week that we've taken. PJ, we needed that bye week last week. I mean, uh, the move was tough. It was a busy week all around the country for everything. But we are back, episode 24. And we couldn't have picked a better week to come back after a quick little hiatus because it is Masters Week, PJ. We have not touched on golf in a while because, with no disrespect to all the little in-between tournaments that have happened, nobody really cared about any of them. Uh, they were just tune-ups for the Masters. And right. now the Masters is finally here. So we get back on our golf kick before we get to our guest. And I don't know what it's going to look like uh, when the golf begins, but I cannot wait to see a fall Masters. I'm excited, Joe. Everything I've been hearing just from players and, uh, you know, reporters who have been going to the Masters for the last 30, 40 Today. years – they say that this is going to be one of the um, – they say this is going to be one of the longest Masters ever because they're calling for a lot of rain. It's raining there today. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. So it might not ne necessarily affect the greens all that much, but they're saying the fairways, there won't be a lot of roll in the fairways. So once you hit your drive, the ball's pretty much going to stop. So holes that normally, you know, play – 470, 480, and especially being in November, um, they say it's really going to favor the longer hitters. DeChambeau already the favorite because of what he did at the U.S. Open, but maybe even more so because mm -hmm. if the course is playing longer, then obviously nobody has more length than him. So that could be something interesting to watch for. The Masters, usually guys have such an advantage who have played the course so much because it's the same course every year, always in April. Now being in November, now that it's playing a little longer, it'll be interesting to see if these guys still have that advantage that they normally have. A big reason why Tiger won last year, because that 12th hole, right? Finau and Kepka and Poulter went right at it. Tiger's like, no, I'm laying up over here to the left and making my, my par. And uh, so it's that kind of experience. It'll be interesting to see if we see that same kind of thing. And that's why Tiger's always a lie when it comes to the Masters and we haven't really heard from him in a little bit. He hasn't necessarily been in the best form, but there isn't a golfer active that knows every little blade of grass at Augusta better than he does. But going back to uh, a conversation we had with Steve Sands a few episodes ago, a lot of those things that you know, when you're at Augusta, Tiger makes mental note of on certain holes, he knows that he can drive directly at the stands on that one and it's going to carry over the lip that he wants to carry over he knows that he could aim his tee shot on hole a um towards the tv tower that might not be there so there's going to be a lot of those little uh things that you're accustomed to uh, as far as any golfer who plays at augusta those markers that are around the course those uh, unofficial markers that aren't there and there's not going to be that crowd and the crowd is going to be I think a big factor more so than it's been at past tournaments there's just something about it uh, I heard America's caddy on with Scott Van Pelt the other night uh, and they said oh and, and Tom Rinaldi as well was touching on this that at Augusta more so than any other major or tournament you're relying on that roar to to let you know kind of what's going on elsewhere the scoreboard doesn't change very quickly. Everything's up there. The cards placed by hand and stuff, you know, all right. that doesn't necessarily change quickly enough for you to know what's going on, but you know what's going on because you heard that roar that came from seven and, oh, wait, who's on seven right now? Finau's on seven. So, you know, Finau is maybe making a chart. All that's gone. 
So it's going to be a really eerie but interesting uh, display over the next few days. You make a great point about the crowd, something I don't think a lot of people are talking about that I heard the other day, which is a great, great point. Augusta, if you've ever been to it there have, or for anybody who ever has, it's really a property that's well-connected. Like There are a lot of holes that are near each other, and when the patrons are just flooded up and down these holes, it obviously makes it look a lot smaller. You have to focus a lot more. They did a great shot today on ESPN. It showed DeChambeau teeing off on the first hole last year and just how much more narrow the fairway looks. And then they showed his practice round yesterday with nobody on the course, and it looks so much more wide open. So, you know, when you have so many fans there, you obviously have to focus because of the roars and because the fairways and the greens look so much shorter than maybe they actually are. Now with no fans, these guys really have to lock in even more because, I mean, you're going to watch that you're going to watch the Masters tomorrow in some of these holes, and it's just going to look so weird not having any fans there. I think 16 is the one for me that's just going to be like that par three, which is usually so electric um, when they're coming down the stretch behind the tee box at the green. And 18th tee two, that tee shot that's so mm. narrow where people are just flooded around that green. It's, it's going to be weird to see. What I'm really kind of weirded out by is because of the fact that Daylight savings time is behind us, and it's going to get dark early, and they've had to kind of readjust their tee times and stuff and double it up. There's going to be people starting at 10. So you're going right into Amen's corner, right yeah. into it. Yep. That's, you, that's not how you want that's to start your day start. at the Masters. No, that's, that's a tough start. And, you know, they're calling for rain tomorrow too. And uh, so – a lot of people are thinking we're not going to get the first round in because of the daylight savings and if they have to push stuff back. But, uh, yeah, you know, going off the split tees, you have to start at 10, 11, 12. I mean, good luck. You can, you can be three over through three just like that. Um, yep. So, you know, That's obviously – not where you want to start. <laughs> not where you want to start because when you start at one, obviously you have the par five at two where you feel like you can pick up some momentum. Um, Joe, with all that being said, though, the Masters is so good because the leaderboards every year are so stacked, obviously. The field is shortened compared to other majors, and it's the best of the best. A lot of people like DeChambeau this week. A lot of people like Rom, Dustin Johnson, the normal suspects. Who do you like this week? All right, so when it comes to the Masters, you never know where a run might come from, you know, you think back to when Spieth had his collapse and Willett came out of nowhere and Willett hasn't really done much since then. And yeah. uh, the, the Louis Oostazens of the world and, and all these guys, you, you just have a, yourself a weekend. You, you familiarize yourself with the course. Pressure is on. Pressure turned off without fans. There's still going to be pressure, but it might not be the same. Uh, you look at Morikawa's win and you look how good Wolf looked before DeChambeau obviously just torched the field. So does your mind go to a Scotty Scheffler who is in that kind of group and maybe makes his mark? There's a lot of different ways you can go as far as handicapping this specific Masters. I'm just going to stick with a guy who is in great form and who hit a ridiculously lucky but still incredible shot in John Rahm. I'm sure you saw it, the, oh. the, the skip across the pond, the hole-in-one. That's if that, <laughs> if that wasn't – I didn't see the Sports Center top ten plays. But it was if number there one. Was, 
if it there was, was some one-handed interception that was over that, then we were going to have a problem. Yeah. So I'm it, glad that was it, one. It's, you know, his, his birthday just passed. It was on November 10th. He hit that. He's in great form. I mentioned those kind of in-between tournaments that have started to kind of happen since the U.S. Open. Now the Zozo Championship, the CJ Cup. At the CJ Cup, he finished 17th. He was 7-under. At the Zozo, he tied for second. He was 14-under. He lost to Cantley. So he's in great form. Uh, he's got himself a, a decent track record building up now at Augusta. Best finish 2018, fourth place. So he's had that uh, in his back pocket where he's been getting closer at the Masters. I think it's his time. I like the odds 10 to 1. I'm going to go with Rom. Rom was my pick last year, and, you know, he was in it for much of the chase. That's a good pick. I'm going with Brooks Kepka, and the reason I like him so much is because I feel like this is as under the radar as you're ever going to get for Kepka at a major for the next five, ten years. Because he's been injured, because he didn't play at the U.S. Open, people just really aren't talking about him. He finished second at the Masters last year. Every major, he's always in contention. And the Masters is the toughest major to win in closing it out because it just takes a certain kind of will, a certain kind of mentality. That's why Tigers won it five times. That's why Phil's won it three times. You know, a lot of people like maybe like a Patrick Cantlay this week. He had a lead late on Sunday last year. Mm -hmm. He bogeyed 17 and 18. So that just shows you the pressure when you know like, oh, my God, I'm winning the Masters. Webb Simpson was in the thick of things. He bogeyed late. Molinari. Molinari. We saw, you know, Finau. I mean, it, there's just certain guys – and Kepka in a major 16 to 1. I saw that and I had to do a double take. I'm like that. He's that. 5 to 1 for a top 5 finish. And now, the guy just pumps out top 5. Right. Uh, so, because of how much hype DeShambo is getting right now, because of how well Rom and DJ are playing right now, I I think Vegas just feels like that a lot of people will expect it to be one of those three mm-hmm. guys and Kepka just the value on him is so good. Maybe he, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's still laboring a little bit from his, his injury. Um, and it, maybe it affects him, especially if the weather isn't great mm-hmm. and the sun isn't shining as much, but he's so strong. And if this course is playing as long as people think it will, it just favors him even that much more. So I like that. That factored into my thinking too, uh, that I'm not entirely sure to trust his knee yet, but yeah. at the same token, I trust that. If he's 100%, which he see, he's, has said that he is, he'll, he'll be ready to go. And uh, the other thing, too, just, you know, I'm sure DeShambo is not going to do anything that hurts his chances. But all this talk about will he use a 48-inch driver, if you're still – we're recording this on Wednesday. If you're still a day before the Masters questioning which club you're going to use, I don't like that. I, I mean, I, I don't really like that uh, – I don't know. It shows you're a little bit indecisive. Uh, are you going to, I don't know. It, that unknown yeah. right there. I don't like that lack of confidence where he's still, am I going to do it? Am I not? Now, maybe that's just what he's putting onto the media and inside he knows exactly what he's going to do and he's going to drive the heck out of the ball and just beat everybody again. Possible. But I didn't like that uncertainty out of him going into the masters. You need to be certain of what you're doing. You can't leave anything open like that. And uh, as, as you said with Kepka too, I was between Rom and Kepka, so it's good that we split here. So we at least we had yeah. two different guys. But I, I was before, besides the fact that I, I didn't want to trust his knee just quite yet, um, that crossed my mind too. Everybody's talking about DeShambo just bombing the ball, and we forget 
how Brooks just bombs the ball too. Yeah. And the conditions will be fine for him. I, again, it just boiled down to me not trusting his knee. The but Shambo, I like the pick. He got a shot. The Shambo I'd be careful of because, look, the Duke can bomb at 350 off the tee, but at the Masters you have to hit your wedges onto mm-hmm. the right spots on the green and you have to putt the ball well. He did that at Wingfoot, and that's why he ran away with it. He can bomb it as far as he wants, but if he isn't, if his short game isn't right, if he's not putting well, if he's not putting it on the right spots, of course he'll eat him alive. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see. He is the betting heavy favorite right now. A lot of people like him, but I just, I'd be careful. You fall in love with the driving and the advantage that that gives him, but golf is all about the short game. I mean, you this game age. So many guys can drive the ball. Of course. Of course uh, you know, right? so it all comes down to short. Game. Are, you, are you throwing a Starbucks cup of coffee's worth of money on, on Tiger just for funsies at 40 to 1? No, I'm not. No. I'm not. No. <laughs> if we're truly being honest, I think I like Phil better than Tiger this week. As, oh, okay. crazy, as crazy as that is, I think Phil has a lot more confidence because of how he's playing on the senior tour. He's been dominating that. I've, I saw that, and he, he holed out for Eagle to take the lead the other day. Phil's too. been playing great. And look, golf is golf, and I know there's a mentality to it when you're playing dudes in their 50s and 60s uh, and not these young guys. It's, it's a lot. But, again, we talk about guys that have these advantages that have played Augusta so many times, and Phil's right there. Mm-hmm. Phil can bomb it off the tee. Phil, what worries you is that he makes the big numbers so easily. I mean, yeah. Phil can triple and quadruple bogey ho- holes, and then he'll be out of it. But, you know, I mean, rarely is Phil ever out of the Masters. Tiger, too. But Tiger, heading into the Masters last year, had some great momentum. In the Open Championship, he was in contention going in on Sunday. He was playing well in the tournaments leading up. This year, he hasn't been playing in many tournaments, and the ones that he has, he just has not been playing in well. So I know it's the Masters, but for him to just automatically flip that switch, I, I can't see it. I, I think if I had to bet, I, I'd lean more towards Phil than I would Tiger. I did see that as a matchup on FanDuel. Now that I'm back in Jersey and I can have that access again, okay. I saw that as a matchup. And uh, Phil was, I think, plus 160 in that matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, worth, it's worth a shot. Again, I know he's 50, so it's tough. Um, but even Tiger, I mean, don't you think there's some letdown from winning last year? If he gets off to a bad start, maybe to himself, he thinks, well, at least I won it last year, right? I I'll mean, tell you I what, though. Green I'll tell you what, I maybe take a futures bet on Tiger to win the Spring Masters when it's back on normal schedule. Yeah, because yeah. You're giving him a chance to see it again now. You're giving him a couple months to kind of ramp back up, and then you're back there where we're supposed to be, hopefully, in April. So um, that that's a good call. Yeah, I just – you know, I don't like that it's in November for him. I don't like that he hasn't been playing well and he hasn't mm-hmm. been playing a lot. And there's just so many guys that are hot right now. And they lowered the cut as well. It's top 50 now. So, uh, yeah, Tiger's going to have to play well. Um, but, uh, man, it's, it's going to be fun to watch because the Masters, all the big names are always in it. And that's, that's what makes it great. And we talk about plenty more matches with our guest for the week, Michael Jenkins. Here is that interview. So thrilled to be joined this week by TV personality and co-host of the DC Bet and Book Podcast, our good friend, Michael Jenkins. Jenks, so good to see you. Thanks for being here. How's everything going? It's going good, man. I'm trying to get this weirdo setup that I've got to look like a pumpkin here, but it's going all right, man. I'm just trying to survive like everyone else, and things are going well, but at least I have a little sports betting to keep things interesting, you know? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. That's all we can kind of do right now is stay alive and figure out what, <laughs> yeah. figure out what action game we're going to pick this week. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. Did you see the ending last night to that one game where they fake Western the, uh, Michigan fake spike Western, Western Michigan. Michigan. Unbelievable. Yeah. That was it's classic action. That was classic. That's exactly, that's exactly what I was going to say. Classic, classic action. So definitely a lot of college football NFL to get to, but before we get to any of that, Masters week. I'm wearing a hoodie. It's raining in like 50 outside and the leaves are orange and I'm watching the Masters. Who's your pick to win this week? Oh man, I I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to ride the the DeChambeau train here and see if I you know, I was reading about. I mean, we all know that he just drives all over the place. Okay. Not all over the place, but his his length is unbelievable. So it's really about whether or not he can he can get it done when it comes to a short game. And I'm interested about him maybe using this, you know, ridiculously long driver. And this is sort of what Tiger did back in the day, right? He was so long off the tee that by the time he needed to lay up, you know, he was using pitching wedges just to get to the green. So it's such a huge advantage. And I feel like, especially at the Masters, I mean, remember back in the day, they actually had to lengthen the course, they had to Tiger proof it because he was just so good and so long off the tee. So I'm going to roll with him because, you know, the, some of the pressure is on him. He keeps talking a big game, doesn't necessarily win, but this is his time. Let's see if he can actually drive that course as long as he intends to and then and then use that that short game to bring home a green jacket yeah outside of tiger i can't really remember a time where there's been this much anticipation surrounding a golfer coming into the masters so it's going to be interesting to see what he does jenks we know you love college football we want to talk it yeah. uh, with you now looking back to last week we had two big games we had florida georgia we had notre dame clemson were you more impressed were you more impressed with florida's win or with notre dame's win Ooh, you know, that's a good question. I think it would easy, it would be easy to say Notre Dame, but, you know, when you have DJ Ung, wait, I'm going to make sure I get this right, DJ Ui Angalale, as talented as he is, and he is definitely talented, I just feel like there would be there would be a difference if Trevor Lawrence were in that situation. And don't get me wrong, Notre Dame was unbelievable, but it took double overtime against a backup quarterback to sort of pull that out, even though it was, a, it was a hell of a win. For me, it was Georgia, or Florida, I should say, because going into that game, that Georgia defense was just, you know, one of the best defenses in the country that had a top 10 unit, and even Florida falling down two touchdowns for them to rally like that and then dominate the rest of the way to me was so much more impressive because in the end, it just wasn't close. It was the margin of victory that got me. If they pull it out, Maybe I wouldn't have been as impressed, but the Gators dominating like they did was was really impressive to me. Now, both teams obviously moved up in the standings with their win, but Bama is the new number one. Are the Crimson Tide the team to beat for you right now in college football? I think so, you know, and, and so much of that to me goes back to coaching. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Notre Dame gets in there. It looks like they will now, and Brian Kelly is a great head coach, and, and certainly maybe Clemson finds another way, and Dabo's done it before. But for me, when you look at this Alabama squad, that, I mean, they lost Jalen Waddles, so that's a, that's a huge blow, but they have so many athletes on, on that team. And, and when you talk about, you know, getting to this point in the season when, you know, guys are or sort of getting to the point where they're getting better and, and the rankings are shaking out. I always defer to the better head coach if we're talking head to head. So for me to have a guy like Nick Saban, who's been in this position before being number one, you know, mid to late in the season and getting ready to be a part of the playoff. That's just kind of part of his DNA now, which is incredible. So I would lean Alabama. Yeah, just because just because of that experience. All right, Jenks, time to start getting to some some numbers and some picks. Here. All right, let's now, do it. <laughs> along with Bama, there's five other top 10 teams. Well, uh, that are on the road yeah, this Bama week. Now, yeah. Be besides, besides the before they got canceled. So besides Bama, there were five other top 10 teams on the road this week. Who should be on upset alert? Ah, who should be on upset alert? I, I would say Miami. 
You know, I mean, they, it's, it's amazing that they are they are underdogs yeah. at Virginia Tech. So if you look, I mean, that's one of those games I'm not going to bet it because that line is really, really fishy because bettors are going to jump all over Miami. And they may very well win that game. That's one of those classic spots where you look and say, I got a top 10 team with one loss. That only loss was, was to Clemson, and I'm getting points. Oh, I'm all over the Hurricanes. But <laughs> Vegas knows exactly what it's doing. So I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia Tech – which, you know, has been up and down this season, lost to Liberty last week. But they have the talent. There's a reason why they're the favorites in this game in Blacksburg. So that Miami needs to be careful. This is a spot for them where they can absolutely come out there with a loss. And that was such a wild ending. I'm sure you guys saw it with the block oh. field goal return touchdown. Why are we icing a college and... kicker on a 59-yard <laughs> field goal? Right. That makes no sense. Only bad things could happen with that one. And it was yeah. a great story, too. I saw the Liberty kicker. He, he started in college, then – had a bad hip injury, went away for a few years, came back. So it was a whole nice story. Around oh, wow. It, one of those little things that just out of nowhere pops up during the college football season. Now, uh, one of the big things that's popped up, obviously, this year in the college football season is COVID, and Wisconsin hasn't played in a while because of it. Yeah. I think a lot of people thought Wisconsin-Michigan this week would have been a top-10 matchup by the time we got here. But with all the uncertainty around Wisconsin, with Jim Harbaugh having one foot out the door to my Jets, uh, who do you like in this one with Wisconsin now favored minus four after it opened up, Michigan minus three. Okay, so let me ask you this. You're a Jets guy? Are you okay? I am. I'm, oh I'm great. We're, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to do for Trevor Lawrence be, right now. You would, be impre- <laughs> you would be surprised how many guests ask the same thing. Are you a Jets fan? Are you okay? Why would you, why would you do that to yourself? I, don't, I keep asking myself the same question, but look, hey, quick, quick aside, $100 million in cap space, bevy of draft picks, Trevor Lawrence, and a new head coach. Joe Douglas, all of his draft picks have hit so far. Arrow's pointing up, and it can't go any lower than it is, so it's only pointing up. <laughs> uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think I would roll with Michigan here, and I understand how bad the Wolverines have been this season. I totally get that. But losing to Indiana, I mean, Michigan State was one thing. Indiana's a very good football team. People need to start taking the Hoosiers seriously. That wasn't a one-off. They're, you know, Michael Penix is the real deal at quarterbacks. They have – athletes on that squad now that it's past that key number of three and you can get four I think I would go with Michigan in this spot it, Michigan still has talent Harbaugh is, has disappointed in Ann Arbor but it's the line has moved too much for me where now I think there's value on the other side and also Wisconsin you know they've been beset by COVID and they're not quite sure who they're going to start a quarterback they haven't quite let that information out yet because one or both of those guys have been affected by the virus so when when you're not sure who's going to go in and be your guy because of something like that, and you're getting more than three points at Michigan, I would side with the Wolverines here. Now, Jenks, I know you love the group of five teams. We got four left yeah. who are undefeated. We talked about Liberty. Coastal Carolina has been an unbelievable story. And then BYU and Cincinnati are a couple of top ten teams. Of those four, who do you like the best? And then who do you think has the best shot at maybe getting into the playoffs? I think the best shot is probably Cincinnati just because of their schedule, which has been tougher of all of those teams just by virtue of the conference that they're in. And they've been really impressive. And, and I think if anyone can crash the party, it's them. But, but BYU is the team that impresses me the most. You know, Zach Wilson gets all of the hype and, and he's really talented. He's a legitimate NFL prospect. But the thing that always stands out to me when you look at the Cougars is they have a top 10 defense. Now their, their schedule has not been great. I mean, it's, it's, you know, they, they, whipped up on Boise State. But outside of that, they really haven't played anyone. But still, the numbers are the numbers this far. And when you have a, a, a talented guy like that who is sort of a dark dark horse Heisman Trophy candidate, he's not going to win, but he's been that good. And then you couple that with a strong defense. I really like BYU and the way they play football. 
I'm glad you talked about Wilson because in the NFL draft this upcoming year, Lawrence and Fields, they'll be the top two quarterbacks taken. But after that, there's a lot of discussion. Do you go Wilson? Do you go Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask? Who would you take as your third quarterback after Lawrence and Fields? You know, the tough thing about this is then you have to sort of go into the system, right? Like Kyle Trask is unbelievable how much of that has to do with the system that he's in. But also he's playing against the SEC. Zach Wilson put on amazing numbers, but, you know, three weeks ago they were beating Texas State. So I – Jones or Trask, I would probably lean towards just because the level of competition is so much higher, and especially Trask, because I mean, he's dominating SEC defenses. So to me, and it's not like Dan Mullen is is Steve Spurrier. It's just Trask is, is that good. So I, I think I would probably lean towards him. But you know, this is where scouts get paid, right? Like you have to you have to acknowledge, okay, these guys are all good in different conferences. How do they fare individually? What's their mental makeup? That's a that's a really good question. I would lean Trask, but that's a tough one. And the other thing too here, Trask. You look at who his coaches. You look at the list of other guys at quarterback who have come from Mullen, and you start to maybe say, "All right, maybe we lean this guy because of that as well." Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's obviously something with Daniel Jones and the Giants because uh, of his previous coaching ties. That's something that weighs on the minds of scouts as well. So I think you might see. I agree. I think you might see Trask start to kind of inch above the others yeah. for that reason more so than anything else. And. Now, as we wait to see all these guys make it to the pros next year, uh, the rookie class in the NFL right now is kind of balling out between Burrow, Herbert, now Tua. Um, of those three guys, who would be your pick uh, if you were starting a franchise? I'd go with Burrow. I, I understand that Justin Herbert has been, you know, unbelievable. And he's, I think he surprised everyone because we knew he had a big arm, but we didn't know if, you know, he made – he would be – very inconsistent at times at Oregon, even though we knew he had the NFL, you know, measurables. But Joe Burrow, to me, like from the outset, is just like, – he's a natural leader. Guys respond to him. And it's only a matter of time before I think since he gets more weapons around him. And he's just absolutely unbelievable. And he's been everything everyone expected. I mean, just imagine the run that he's had at LSU, and then you're the number one pick and all that pressure. And despite all that, he's met or exceeded expectations. And I, I just remember – you know, some quarterbacks have an it factor where guys just rally around them. Like Jared Goff is a guy who, you know, he'll put it from numbers from time to time, but I don't feel like the Rams play for Jared Goff. They, mm-hmm. you know, he just doesn't inspire anyone. Whereas look at Joe Burrow. I remember the first touchdown he scored, and I mean, his own line, everyone was right there because he was the guy. And you could tell, man, these guys are already all in on Joe Burrow. And, and that's one of those things that you can't really quantify, but, but you know, long-term means a lot because obviously you want your quarterback to be a leader. So I, I love Joe Burrow. So maybe better question than Burrow aside, your choice between Tua and Herbert may be the better question. You know, I just don't think we have enough body of evidence on, on Tua. Tua might be the better guy, but we just haven't. He's slowly integrating himself into the offense. And, and so I would say Herbert right now, just because he looks like he looks all world. This guy looks wow. like he's ready to go and, and he's going to have a great career. I would, I would go Herbert right now, but with Tua, we just don't know yet. We just haven't seen enough from him, especially because – they don't need him to do much right now. They can ease him into the system because that Dolphins defense has been so good. They play uh, the this week, so yep, we'll you can see it right, right. Yeah, we'll find out. Say that the Dolphins play the, Car- the Chargers this week, so we'll, yep. we'll see. And the Dolphins are sneaking into that playoff picture in the Crazy. AFC. We'll get more into the AFC playoff picture in a moment, but for now, uh, the NFC playoff picture, we just saw the Saints do on Saturday night against the Bucks. Yeah. Are the Saints the team to beat? I know the NFC, we've seen the Saints – 
look like the team, then the Packers look like the team, and then the Bucks kill the Packers, and the Bucks look like the team, and it's like the whole, uh, <laughs> right. you know, you're, you're on the pin board, like, taping the yarn to each one and trying to, like, figure out the investigation. <laughs> the conspiracy of, theory. Yeah, who, who's who in the NFC? <laughs> right. Are the Saints now the team on top firmly to beat? Yeah, I think they are. And and they've been they haven't been healthy, you know. Finally they're starting to get Michael Thomas back back to the offense. And I know there's been a lot of talk about Drew Brees and whether or not he's washed, but you know, the Saints are still motivated. They've been so close the past two or three years and they just have not been able to get over the hump. One was a bad call or you know, whatever it is, they just they have just struggled to get finally to that Super Bowl. I still think they have that in them. And that defense, as we saw, is a lot better than people anticipated. And this really isn't this isn't recency bias. It's not like I saw that game against the Bucs. I was like, oh, now I like the Saints. They quietly, even before that game, I love the Saints in that game. It got them at three and a half. I just thought they're being disrespected because you, you look into Tom Brady's eyes and and you get mesmerized <laughs> with everything he can do. And, and he's 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 an he's a hell of a quarterback. That Bucks defense is for real. But people have been sleeping on the Saints because of all the attention on the Bucs. And and with a guy like Sean Payton, who has certainly been there before, along with Drew Brees, I, I think right now they're the team to beat. And then in the AFC, the only undefeated team left in football, the Steelers. How much did you take away from that Cowboys game? It was a pretty pretty predictable um, yeah. kind of, you know, layup spot after they played the Titans and the Ravens, and then you get Dallas. Would they still be your favorite out of the AFC, or you still like the Chiefs? I would go with the Chiefs, but I'll tell you something. The, the, the Steelers' defense is going to be the difference there. Kansas City, you know, the only thing that, that makes me lean the Chiefs is that Kansas City is probably the only team that just still outscore you. Like, their 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 defense is not good right now, but they, they weren't exceptional last season either. And as good as that Steelers' D is, and maybe they can slow down Mahomes a bit, Patrick Mahomes is, you know, he's that rare quarterback where, it, as we saw last year in the playoffs, I mean, how many times did he do it? Even if he's down 14, even if he's down 21, he's such a, he's such an otherworldly talent that, that the NFL has never seen that he's probably the only quarterback that can keep his game or keep his team in the game just by virtue of the fact that he finds a way to win ball games because of Andy Reid, his relationship with the head coach and the talent around him. So I would lean chiefs just because until I see someone who can keep up with them, yeah, I would go Kansas city. And they're finally getting that running game going a little bit to go along mm-hmm, with exactly. the pass attack, which is going to be a, a bad combination for opposing teams. Jenks, before we get into our best bets of the week, we wanted to ask you maybe your favorite college play and NFL play for this week. What games are you looking at? My favorite – well, first of all, I'll say I hate the slate in college football. Oh, me you know, too. I, I, this is one of those weeks where I'm like – like the last couple of weeks I've had a couple of my favorite plays and they've hit, and this week I'm like, dude, you're going down this week. This, this is <laughs> – uh, I think if you can get it at three, I like Iowa on Friday night laying three against Minnesota – both of them are coming off their first wins of the season, and they both want to run the ball. But the one thing that I saw that really stood out to me is that Iowa has the best rushing defense in the Big Ten. Minnesota has the worst. So for two teams that want to rush the football, and Minnesota does have uh, the Baltimore kid, Ibrahim, uh, who is the top rusher in the country. However, when, it, when you're talking about two teams that want to rush, I'm going to roll with the defense that has done a better job of stopping that uh, on that side of the ball. So I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes. If you can get it at three, if you, when it starts inching past that three number and you get that three and a half, that hook always scares me. So I'm going to lay the three with the Hawkeyes this week. A lot of things in Vegas have been built on the hook, like the Circa oh. big board now. So that's, that's why you always try to stay exactly. away from the hook. That's what, that's what gets you. Absolutely. The hook's the crook, baby. Don't, don't let it happen. <laughs> All right. So 
this is where we usually do our segment called the Swift Seven, where it's just seven rapid fire questions. We've adjusted sure. it pending the guest. And for you, we wanted to make it our best bet. So PJ okay. and I every week have been competing. Neither of us are doing phenomenally here. So far, he's 21 and 24. I'm 20 okay. and 25. So we're, we're in the hole a little bit here. Um, <laughs> we're going to go pick for pick. I'll give mine. He'll give his. You give a little reaction. And then at the end, I want you to tell us which of us you'd be uh, more comfortable saying is going to have the better week of the okay. two of us. Maybe, sure. we, maybe your answer is we're both going to have terrible weeks. So that's a perfectly acceptable <laughs> answer too. But um, I'll start it off. I like the Titans tonight. Pick them against the Colts. This okay. is one of those where I haven't looked at the numbers. I just – the Titans are in a spot where I think they are going to remind people who they are. And, so, you know, they drub the Bills. They're a team that has been perceived to be a contender. They made the AFC title game last year. Uh, I think the Colts have – They've looked so weak in so many games. And Phillip Rivers, I can't trust Phillip Rivers at all this year. At home, Thursday night, I like the Titans in this one. I'm with you there. PJ, are you going to give your pick here? I want to make sure both of you guys go back and forth here. Well, actually, I had the Colts for later on as one of my best bets. Uh, So I'll just say that one now. I I like Indy tonight. I think the line is telling you a lot. The fact that it's a pick I think, tells you that Vegas thinks that the Colts are the better team. They have the second-best run defense in the NFL, so that actually that messes well with Henry. And you look at the Titans at home this season against divisional opponents. They beat Jacksonville by three, and they beat Houston in overtime. So they, they haven't been dominating teams at home like they should be, two of the worst teams in football in their division. The Colts, after a home loss, a big game like this, I, I think they play well tonight, and I think they, they get the win. All right, very good. I, I, would, I would lean Titans here. Just uh, I'm a I'm a big believer in, in Derrick Henry and and as good, but you're right. There's a reason why it's a big and the Colts are a top five defense across the board. Doesn't matter the category that you look at, but I'm I would roll with Derrick Henry wearing them down slowly and just getting the way. I feel like in that annual Titans Jaguars Thursday night game that everybody hated, Derrick Henry and the Titans would always dominate, and that's kind of on my mind too. Like it's just they love that Thursday night. You get that Thursday night 99 yard Derrick Henry touchdown almost all the time too. So I like the I like the Titans tonight. Uh, on to the next now. I like situations sometimes. And now maybe this is like what you said before, you look in those Tom Brady eyes and you get mesmerized. But the Bucs are coming off of barely beating the Giants, losing to the Saints. Everybody kind of is falling in love with the Panthers covering and being close in games. The number's only five and a half. I think the Bucs win this game by a touchdown, so I go with the Bucs minus five and a half. I'm with you on that. I, I agree with that. I, I think that Tom Brady – you know, it's funny – when, remember, go back to week one when he went out against the Saints. I think he threw a pick six in that game or at least had some bad interceptions. He was not good against the Saints. What happened? He got motivated the next week and came out and proved, all right, I had a bad game. I'm not done yet. So this is a, this is a, this is a nice spot for Tom Brady to show. He's not washed, even though he had an awful game on Monday night. So even though Teddy Bridgewater, by the way, is a covering machine. I mean, he covers. Very much so. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Teddy covers. But, but, I, but I agree with you here. I'm, I'm with you on Tom. My number five pick, Jenks, is uh, Arkansas, plus 17.5 against Florida. And I love the spot for the Hogs because Florida finally got over that Georgia hump. They know that that game is so big in the SEC East every year. And I love the Felipe Franks revenge factor. Obviously, he played at Florida. He's going back to the swamp. So, Arkansas is a good team. They're 3-3. and They should have won that game down at Auburn. They got hosed on that one. Four and two. Kyle Pitts might not play for Florida, pound for pound, one of the best players in the country. I just think 17 and a half is too many points, so I would go with the Hogs on the road. Oh, and also, one of the most amazing stats that I, that I read this week and wrote about is 
I might lean Florida, but I don't like the 17. Again, man, the hook, 17 feels yep. like the right number. And Arkansas has covered eight straight games going back to last season. They're 8-0 yep. no against the number. So I think you may wow. be on the right side there. Yeah, yeah right. Like that. Good one. Like that. Yeah. So, so far, we, we, he liked both of our four picks. Now on to number three. Uh, again, situationally here, six and a half, Ravens are laying it against the Patriots. There's all this talk now about Lamar, the Ravens, a lot of doubt circling. You get Sunday night football against a team that I just watched barely beat my Jets. Barely beat my Jets. We move the ball at will against them. Only six and a half. A chance on national TV for the Ravens to remind everybody who the F they are. I like the Ravens minus six and a half. I'm with you there. I, I, I just the Patriots suck. I, I, yeah, I they know that's suck. Not, that's it. They <laughs> that's, suck. That, that's not brilliant analysis. And I understand <laughs> Belichick is still there, but Cam Newton just looks washed to me, and I feel bad. He just he took so much punishment early in his career, and that happens to guys. I mean, once once their body just doesn't respond anymore, they're just different players. Especially when you're a guy who's you know early on like to run the football, and, and he's just not the same player. The Patriots just aren't the same team. And, and again, you're under that key number of seven. That's a touchdown for the Ravens. I love it. Uh, Jenks, my next best bet is I don't love the team, but I love the number and the spot. I'm going Michigan State plus seven and a half versus Indiana. This line kind of stinks a little bit because mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people think Indiana is the second best team in the Big Ten, but I love the sandwich spot. Indiana just got off that win against Michigan, a team they haven't beaten in 30 years. You look at who they play next week, it's Ohio State. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of look ahead. Michigan State just got blown out by Iowa, but East Lansing – Early afternoon could be a funny little spot. I think it's an ugly, low-scoring game. And the fact I'm getting it at the key number again, seven and a half, they can lose by a touchdown. I like the yep. Uh, I'm not just trying to agree with both of you, but I think you're right. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he likes every single bet. But I'm, I'm, I have not looked at this game much, but this is what I know about Michigan State is that, you know, I always like to look at spots where, you know, people have that recency bias. They saw something recent and they're like, whoa, man, this, you know, look at Michigan State. They got crushed by Iowa right. last week. They're going to get destroyed. Well, Michigan State is also the same team that lost to Rutgers and they came back and beat Michigan outright. So uh, I think that line is too inflated because of that. Michigan State is better than they, sh they showed against the Hawkeyes. And again, sandwich spot for Indiana. Uh, the hook is going to be your friend here. So uh, I'm on the Spartans as well. I like that play. If there's one of my five that I don't love this week, but I don't know, maybe I was suckered into it, it's this one. Uh, Seahawks, Rams, over 55 and a half. The Seahawks can't defend the three of us. And the Rams, <laughs> on the other hand, have also shown some weakness. I mean, look at what the Dolphins did to them. Granted, the Dolphins had some fluky defensive touchdowns in that game, but the Rams aren't great. The Seahawks' defense is on a pace to be historically bad, to give up more passing yards, I think by like 600 mm -hmm. than the current record is, which was a, a Packers team from a few years ago. So they are just absolutely god-awful. I like over 55 and a half in this one. Whenever I look at totals, I try to – Whenever I'm thinking about a total in a game, I try to go to that game, give myself my own score prediction. Yeah. And then if the total, when I look at it, like blind resume, when I then look at it, if it's more than seven away from what my score prediction was, I like that total. And when I looked at this one, I said this is like 34-30 Seahawks, which is 64. That gives me eight-point buffer. So that's why I, like, I went with that one. I'm actually laying the point and a half with the Rams. I love this spot. I, you know – the last time people saw Jared Goff, he was garbage against Miami. And I was on the Rams in that game because it was to his debut. And I thought, man, you know, first game for a rookie, he's going to line up against Aaron Donald. It's not going to be pretty. And to, 
Tua was good enough in that game while Jared Goff just kept throwing away the football. But now you've had two weeks, and I'm a big proponent of teams that have two weeks to prepare, especially under Sean McVay. So coming off a loss, Sean McVay is 8-1 and one in his last nine against the spread. So he really thrives in spots like this. And, and you mentioned it, man, that the Seahawks defense gives up more yardage than any defense in the NFL. I'm laying the points of the Rams. That's one of my favorite bets this week. I like the Rams. That's a good play. Um, my next best bet, one we've already talked about, Virginia Tech minus two and a half because how are they favored? You know, right. it's one of those lines, people are going to see the number nine ranked team in the country as an underdog and they're going to jump all over it, especially when Virginia Tech was laying a huge number last week against a ranked team and lost the game outright. So I think people are going to look at that and they're going to be like, this team isn't that good. But uh, trust Vegas on this one. Miami just struggled on the road against NC State. They were lucky to win that game. High-scoring game, shootout. Um, but I think the Hokies cover. And that two-and-a-half number, if it's a, they win by a field goal, you're a winner. So I like the Hokies. I agree. People are going to say, Miami getting points, dude. Virginia Tech, they just lost the liberty. You can just, you can just hear yeah. hear it. And maybe we'll be wrong. I mean, sometimes the public side is the right side, as we all know. This is, it's, you know, sports betting is, is not easy. But, but I, mean, I love that pick. I'm, I'm on the Hokies, too. That line did not make sense from the jump. Nope. All right, fifth of my five, and this is just – I have totally hitched my wagon I think this is going to decide it, man. This is going to be right. the decider for me. Okay. All right. I've totally hitched my wagon to this team, partly because my friend is a GA for them, partly because they're just rolling and it's incredible and fun to watch. Coastal Carolina laying the 10 at Troy, and I am totally on that train. And here's the thing. From the question we talked about earlier of the group of five teams, who has a chance to sneak in? All of them are going to have to win – with style points have to do it with style points to leave that impression and have a chance. So I see 10, I'm looking at maybe at worst a push, but I'm looking at a coastal Carolina, like 34, 13 game here against a Troy team. that I don't think is that great. Oh, dude, I'm, I, I already laid that with Coastal. I, I love <laughs> I love that play as well. Now, it's inched up in some spots over 10, so the money's coming in on Coastal. And I think it opened early in the week, I believe, a little over seven. I wish I'd gotten it there. Yeah. So that line's, like, bounced up three or four points. But Coastal Carolina has a legitimate defense, and Georgia Southern is not a good football team. I think they would by at least two touchdowns. Coastal's a real team. I mean, they, they are, are really yeah. good. They are really, really good. My number one play of the week is just all about value and line movement. I like the Bears plus two and a half on Monday night against the Vikings, and I'll tell you why. When the look-ahead line came out for this game, the Bears were favored by two and a half. All that happened between last week and this week were the Bears as as, uh, seven-point underdogs lost – as six-point underdogs, excuse me, lost by seven to Tennessee. And then Minnesota, who was favored by four and a half against Detroit, won by a couple touchdowns. But I think because of how Dalvin Cook's running the football, because I think the Bears are kind of turning into the team we thought they would be, now everybody's sort of on the Vikings. But the fact that that line moved five whole points, I just I love the value with the Bears at home. And we know Minnesota, you stop Dalvin Cook, you got a real good shot at winning mm-hmm. games against them. And Kirk Cousins, I, you know, it's Monday Night Football. Here we go again. And the Bears' defense, they pressure him, and I think he's just going to cause turnovers. The Bears' offense is not going to be pretty, but I think in an ugly, low-scoring game, especially getting two-and-a-half, I like Chicago. I like the reasoning. I, I guess I'm just going to have to award it to Joe just because yes! – <laughs> just only because, P.J., I, when I see you picking a game between Nick Foles and Kirk Cousins, I start I start to get the shakes, man. Yeah, I can't I, I can't you. do it. I can't do I it. I feel you. I feel you. I understand. 
Yeah, but I, I like the value. It's a good value play. Yeah, there's just I, certain games like that where they're too ugly to even want to pick. I'd rather pick a matching game and just bet the over in a matching game that you know is probably going to hit nine times out of ten. But <laughs> understood. I know I'll be watching that game with one eye open and just like, please don't. Turn the ball <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. Play. Look, look. It can't be any worse than the Monday Night Football game we just had between the Jets and the Patriots. Oh. It, it wasn't a be, bad game. It wasn't though. a bad game, but it was just a bad, ugly matchup where right. you're sitting there like. Why am I watching a game <laughs> right now between a team that is teams that are a combined? What was it, two and thirteen or something? That's, oh yeah. Um, all right. All right. Yeah. Give James a trivia question. He's gonna like here, this one. Here it goes. And we always end with a trivia question. Okay. Now, I first just want to raise up the Maryland shirt hey, and give the horse. Here's the trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> so we know you're a Texas guy. Mm-hmm. We know you're a Texas guy. In the last six bowl games. Oh, and before I ask the question, actually, you got. 90 seconds or three strikes. Those are our uh, parameters okay. here. 90 seconds or three strikes. In okay. your last six bowl games, Texas has played in the Alamo Bowl three times. Okay. Can you give us the teams they played oh, God. and the starting quarterbacks for Texas in those three games? TJ oh, came at you hard with this one. He finds the questions. I'm terrible at trivia. So the last three. <laughs> uh, all right. So last year would be Sam Ellinger yep. and Utah. There you go. Well, Sam has played in the last oh, the last three Alamo Bowls. Alamo right? Bowls. Alamo Bowls, yeah. Oh God. Um, let's go. Didn't they play? No, that's not Oregon State. They didn't play Oregon State. Did... My memory goes back about six months, and then everything else is fog. <laughs> uh, let's go. Was Tyrone Swoops playing back then? Just tell me. Tell me. Give me a strike. Oh. Who is it? You actually right. had Oregon you State had was one you of them. The team. Was it Oregon? Oregon, them. Oregon, Oregon State was one. Yep, they were in They're 2012, and uh, and their brothers in the Civil War. Oregon Case? was the other one. Oh, Oregon! Oh Oregon. God! Case was the quarterback against Oregon. Do you remember the year before Case against Oregon State? Who was quarterback? Before Case was it? Gosh, I came after right before Case. Who do we have? God, it was such a terrible like just tell me who it is david ash oh david <laughs> ash david just couldn't stay healthy he was talented yeah. but he'd able to play like three games and get a concussion and be out and three, yeah that's right oh man you got those are good trivia questions david ash yeah i forgot that case mccoy was quarterback at, i remember you had the mccoy brothers and the shipley brothers yeah. it was jackson and jordan and case and yeah Cole. exactly yep. that was like the big joke for a while hey did you know these guys are roommates like you heard that like a million times like right. on the, the telecast up forever and case the only thing case did case was not a great quarterback but he did get the final one against texas a so that's like his one claim to fame there you go and now the storyline that gets beaten into the ground is i feel like every time i watch a texas game now I see the picture of Sam when he was like three years old in the Texas oh, jersey with the, the horns. I, I think I've seen that in every single right, Texas every Texas. single one. So when, they, when there's some time, it's like run that Ellinger video. <laughs> That's, right. it. That's it. Uh, Jenks, well, we got. I mean, you got a great weekend. We got Masters, college football, yeah. NFL. Let me ask you before we let you go: if you sure. could have your complete pick, like two sports that if you could line them up back to back, any event, what would it be? Like March Madness and the Rose Bowl, or Ooh, I'm gonna be a weird guy. It would probably be college football and hockey for me. All so right. yeah, and it, and it's weird because I mean, college football has always been my, my greatest passion. But then I got here to DC and I started covering hockey and just like fell in love with it. And I couldn't like sometimes I step back because when I first got here, I had to 
pretend like I liked hockey because <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I mean, when I was in Texas, we I, we did not have hockey. When I graduated from high school, that's the year. I mean, I'm dating myself, but that's when the North Stars came from Minnesota to Dallas and became the Stars. So that was all. I didn't know anything about. So I came here. I'm having to learn things about the sport, and I just acted like I was a fan. But but then in the process of doing that, then I became like a massive fan. Pulled so, in. You know, I, I got pulled in. And so, you know, even during the playoffs, I would go into, you know, find a socially distant place somewhere around here. I'm like, I got, I got to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I get mad. I'm like, you got 20 TVs. You can't give me one. one? And that, that makes, I'm like, I'm like, you're the guy. You're the guy asking about hockey. That's you. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I love I love hockey. I absolutely. Do. People that don't like it. I'm like, go watch a Canucks Flames Stanley Cup playoff game and try not to enjoy it. Yep. Just try, you, you, try. Totally. Totally. The the iconic uh, Jenks drinking on the air capital. That's when I was officially, officially sucked in completely. That was it. Awesome. Well, Jenks, we really appreciate you joining us. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for uh, all your insight. And hopefully we, we all win some money this week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me guys. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, that was Michael Jenkins of the DC Sports Book and Bet Podcast. Joe, we got Travis and Jenks on the pod. It was great having Jenks on because he loves college football. He mm-hmm. really knows the sport. I was and- a little bummed that, like, we had this on the calendar. We've, wa- we've been waiting for this week. Masters, all the college football. And now, like, half the college football slate was canceled. But, you know what, it's still great to have had him on and, and all that we were able to get to with him. Um, yeah, that dream doubleheader of Masters Saturday, Bama LSU, that's gone. Maryland, Ohio State, Joe, that was the most excited I've been looking forward to a Maryland game in a long time. Me too. They were probably going to get killed, but the way they played against Penn State, you just wanted to see that offense against mm-hmm. a, a real defense like yeah. that. Um, it was the perfect spot for the Terps. Penn State, 0-2, you just had a feeling they just were like, our season's over, we have nothing to play for. Give the Terps credit, though, because they whooped their ass from start to yep. finish. Tyloa and Rakeem Jarrett is going Rakeem to Rakeem be- looks incredible. <laughs> I mean, I had high hopes for him, a five-star flip from what is slowly becoming wide receiver U at LSU. Yeah. Uh, to flip from them to Maryland, that's unheard of. Uh, but he did it, and he's living up to it as a true freshman, and – it's. I just can't wait to keep watching him. I mean, I, yeah. I want more. I know. I was, Kim. Like, I, I want more, more, more. I was looking forward to this week, but like you I said, it's. Too. I know. So that it. game's canceled. We got Auburn, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, Tennessee, the SEC. It's just COVID. SEC is, is decimated. There was supposed yeah. to be uh, a seven-game slate this week. That is down to three. Georgia, Mizzou, as we said, canceled. Texas A&M, Tennessee, canceled. Auburn, Mississippi State, canceled. Bama, LSU, canceled. As of now, Arkansas, Florida, South Carolina, Ole Miss, and then Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Right. Three games for now that have survived for now. Sure. Um, and as you uh, – yeah, and as you heard in the interview, Arkansas is one of my best bets this week. So might have to be changing that if that game gets canceled as well. Yep. There were two big results, though, this past weekend in college football, Joe. Obviously, Notre Dame beating Clemson and Florida beating Georgia. I asked Jenks which team he was more impressed by. Which team were you more impressed with getting that victory? So I was more impressed with Notre Dame. Now, yes, Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence. But DJ Uyunglele is also a star in the making. Star. And he is is part of the reason – 
besides the fact that I think it's a given that Trevor Lawrence is coming out and there's no reason for him to go back to school. Um, I don't know if he can go back to school where he turns around and he sees DJ Uyunglele playing the way he's playing. I don't know if you can go back. And I don't know if, I don't know if Davo Sweeney wants him to come back because DJ might want to transfer if that's the case and not sit under Lawrence for another year. So if he was eligible to come out, he would be the third quarterback in the draft this year behind Fields and Lawrence. I truly yeah, believe that. I believe that. I, I, believe I, I, that. Would, I would believe that. So, uh, so all that was made about, oh, well, they don't have Lawrence, this or that. I don't, it doesn't, yeah, I'm for me. There, there wasn't I'm much saying, of a drop off. I'm not, I'm not saying that they are better. I'm not saying that they're even the same, but the drop off isn't ginormous. Right. There's something to be said still about the, the command that Trevor Lawrence has out there, the leadership that he brings out there. And uh, there's still just, you watch him, and it's like when we were watching Andrew Luck at Stanford. There's just a whole nother level to his game. But raw ability. Ooh, young Lele is there. So there wasn't a massive drop-off. So that's why hats off to Notre Dame. And especially with the way the game played out, they could have easily laid down and died after Book fumbled into the end zone mm-hmm. touchback. They could have easily laid down and died when Clemson took the late lead. They could have easily laid down and died when Clemson uh, scored on the first play or, well, ended up being the second play of the first overtime because we had that, like, seven-minute review, and then SNL got pushed back, and every tw- it became 2021 in the process for how yeah, long it took. There were, like, seven reviews, whatever. So they scored right away in the first overtime. All that, and Notre Dame still came through. And what have we been saying for so long about Notre Dame? They beat up on their independent schedule. They get the win that looks good against USC or, or Michigan in that process, but they just can't beat the big team, and they mm-hmm. can't do it when it counts. And now they're in the ACC. We've been waiting for them to join a conference, even if it's only for one year. They play Clemson. They're home against Clemson, and they beat Clemson. That's what impressed me the most. Georgia, I'm not sold on. We've seen it with – we've been waiting for JT to take over at quarterback. He hasn't. Maybe he's not fully healthy still, and they're not letting us on there. Uh, Stetson's okay. He's really – this team isn't what we thought it was going to be because he's holding it back. Yeah. So, and Florida, I think all season long, Florida hasn't really been quite getting the respect it deserves. They should have gotten more respect going into that game. And like LeBron said after the Lakers won the title, maybe they'll get their damn respect now. Uh, they deserve it. They so do. I was impressed by it, but it wasn't nearly as impressive as knocking off Clemson. I mean, Georgia and Clemson aren't even in the same category this year. So – Definitely more impressed by Notre Dame. I'm with you. Notre Dame, you know, you just, you're just like, this is a spot that Clemson always excels in, regardless Mm -hmm. of who's playing quarterback. And this is a position where Notre Dame always falls in. And once book fumbled, you're like that, that's, that's That's it. That's the dagger right there. As well as Notre Dame played up to that point, that, that was it. Clemson took the lead like they should have and give Notre Dame credit. They converted a fourth down. They got a huge touchdown, sent to OT, won it in OT. Um, 90 yard drive and, and, and they had that flag that was picked up inexplicably because Dabo yelled at a ref yeah, yeah. on that pass interference. So all the things that were there that could, that were going against Notre Dame and they still came through. So that, that really impressed me. Now, I don't think they're going to necessarily parlay that into a national title or something. I don't even think they're going to parlay that into an ACC title that. because yeah. when we get the return matchup here and it's Clemson against Notre Dame. Uh, which I'm sure will happen again at some point. I'm taking Clemson, and I'm Same. very confident in that. Yeah. Uh, but it was very impressive as it happened. But nothing has been more impressive than the team that, for those of you watching on YouTube, see over PJ's left shoulder 
Bama is just cooking. I mean, Mac Jones, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to kind Did of I not tell you my how words good he on was? Mac Jones, yeah. Joe, yeah. he's – look, I know that they have probably the best offensive line in football. I know Najee Harris is good. I know Waddle and Devontae Smith is good. But you still need a quarterback to make the throws. I mean, Georgia's got talent, but they got no quarterback to get anybody the ball. Mac's decision-making – Joe, I'm telling you this right now. If I'm the Indianapolis Colts, I am doing whatever I can to trade Mac Jones because that's the quarterback that they clearly kind of want. They want uh, – I mean, you're not going to get another Andrew Luck, but you need somebody who will protect the football, who will be a good complement to your running game, who's good on play action, who can make all the throws to the sideline over the middle of the field. I mean, Rivers kills them. I'm sorry, we're talking about them drafting Mac Jones or trading for yes. Sam Darnold now? No, no, no. no. <laughs> drafting Mac Jones. Because you were saying that, and I'm like, that's the same argument. <laughs> Mac is just – I look at Mac Jones, and I'm like, he is the perfect quarterback for the Colts. I, I love him. I honestly think the gap between him and Tua, as I've told you, is closer than him – and Hurts or McCarron or whoever you think the third best quarterback Saban's had at Bama is, Mac is sensational. And really uh, good. I, you know the defense still worries me. I look at Ohio State and Way I'm too like, too many points given up for a Bama team. Too, I'm like, how is how are they going to stop Ohio State when Lawrence comes back? I'm like, I don't know. Here's how the are thing, they though, stop I don't think they're going to. If if you're looking at Bama over the last few years, right? Think of all yeah. the big games that Bama's had over the last few years: shootout with Georgia, shootout with LSU. Shoot out with Clemson twice. Auburn. Blown out by Clemson. Shoot out with Auburn. All their big games have been shootouts. So And that's new college football, yeah. That's new college football. It's the new Bama way. They're no longer gonna beat you out in a nine to three or nine to six slugfest like yeah. we saw every year against LSU. Right. It's now gonna be forty eight to forty two, forty eight to thirty one. That's what it is now. And with the talent they have on offense and with Jones slinging it the way he's slinging it, why not? I mean, why that's, not? That's why, I, you know, people have been texting me. They're like, are you worried about Florida? And I'm like, absolutely, because yeah. their offense is as good as ours. Whoever has the ball last in that game gets a W. No question. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if it's overtime where you, you go possession for possession, that's one of the games where you probably get into the two-point shootout that they have now. So. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've been waiting for that for the fifth <laughs> overtime for the two-point play. But uh, I, I cannot wait for that SEC championship game. You're right, though. Every big game now in college football, you almost have to bet the over because oh, yeah. the offenses are so good that they just, you know, Georgia, Kirby Smart a little bit is reminding me of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan where the defenses are great, but you can't get that quarterback to elevate. You need to score points with these top-tier teams. And we thought, oh, Michigan, Joe Milton after Minnesota, this was their year. And now we're realizing that the Big Ten is a load of duty after Indiana, yeah. Ohio State. Maybe the Terps, we'll see. Maybe the uh, Terps. Maybe the Terps. No. Hey, once we get back on track after COVID, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I was looking forward to that doubleheader, Joe, on Saturday. Masters right in the Bama LSU. I tweeted this out, Joe, and I just – to show how far, how far LSU has dropped, Maryland and Ohio State – the spread in that game was 25. The spread in the Bama LSU game for a while was 25. Yeah. Vegas was basically telling you the gap between Ohio State and Maryland was the same as Bama and LSU. I mean, think That's about that. Think about it. So it's yeah, it's been a tough year for LSU. They're trying to postpone the game. We see if we'll see if they will. Um, but uh, yeah, moving to NFL now, Joe. We got a lot to talk about in the national. We got football a lot. League. We missed we've missed a couple of weeks, so we figured the best way to catch up on all things NFL. 
We're in the double digit weeks now. It's crazy to think that we are in week 10 crazy. double digits. So the best way to do this playoff picture contender, yeah. pretender, let's go around the horn. Let's start with the AFC. Now, top of the way, eight and O Pittsburgh Steelers. If you tell me they're a pretender, it's just because you're a homer. For the Baltimore Ravens. They are absolutely one of the best contenders. Honestly, we could knock out the top two with ease. Steelers, Chiefs, 8-0, 8-1. They're legit contenders. There's no questions there. No question. The Steelers right now, uh, they got to wait and see what the deal is with Big Ben. Uh, he's on the COVID list. He doesn't test positive, but he's not going to be able to practice this week. They do at least have a cupcake of a matchup at home against the Bengals. Uh, they got to make sure his knees are okay. He took that knock in the Cowboys game but ended up playing better after he came back in the second half despite injuring both of his knees on the same play. Uh, but right now the Steelers, best offensive line. They got a run game. They got a great complement of receivers. Their defense is the best in the league. And they got Big Ben looking like pre-elbow surgery Big Ben. Uh, yeah. The Chiefs, aside from the – ever since they lost to the Titans in the regular season last year, they are 17-1. and one. You just can't stop them. You just you can't. can't stop them. Those and I love what they're doing, trying to – they're throwing Mahomes less. They're building that run game with Clyde and Le'Veon and, uh, yeah, Joe. Everybody in the AFC is just way, you know, trying to avoid the Chiefs. You want to hold off as long as you can so you don't mm -hmm. have to play them. And now we continue with the Bills and the Titans. That's the next two, three and four, finishing yeah. out the current division leaders. It's where it starts to get interesting for me. Because for Josh Allen, we've seen him at his best. We've seen him in games looking like he looked last year. When it comes to the cream rising to the top, playing the best of the best, are we going to see the Josh Allen that has been slinging it all over the yard and putting up crazy numbers against solid but mid-tier to low-tier defenses? Or are we going to see the Josh Allen that has come out and struggled against teams that – like the Chiefs, and has come out and struggled against the better of the teams? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. We're going to find out the answer to that question because their schedule does start to pick up a little bit. Uh, the Titans, they got a big one against the Colts on Thursday Night Football this week, and the Titans, for all the good they've done, they go out and they lose to the Bengals, and then they play a squeaker after taking a big lead against the Bears. So uh, for me, I'm going to say that the Titans are contenders. I think they have the pieces. I think the Bills are the pretenders. I think we'll see that as they, again, start to play a lot better teams. I mean, if you look at the schedule, like, all right, they beat the Jets to open up. They beat the Dolphins by a field goal. They beat the Rams by a stroke of luck at the end of that game, a couple of terrible flags in a game that they blew a 28-3 lead. And it's a Rams team that I'm not sold on because the Rams right now, their wins are against – all four NFC East teams and the Bears. Right. I'm not sold on the Rams right now. Mm -hmm. beat the Raiders, they lost to the, they got blown out by the Titans. They lost to the Chiefs. They beat the Jets on six field goals. If the Jets weren't the Jets, any of the other 29 teams in the league, 20, what, 30 teams, 30 teams in the league would have probably beaten the Bills in that game. Yep. They beat the Patriots by three. If Cam Newton doesn't fumble it, that's probably a loss. And then – they put up 44 on the Seahawks because the Seahawks defense right now is on pace for a record bad year. They're on pace to shatter the record for most passing yards given up in a season. So there hasn't been anything that has really jumped off the page as impressive. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're doing what they're supposed to do, but it's going to get a little bit tougher here for them. And I'm curious to see how they navigate it at the Cardinals home against a Chargers team. That's been in every game at a Niners team to start off December home Steelers 
at a tough Broncos team that has been in every game at the Patriots home Dolphins. It's going to pick up a little bit. So for me, I say the bills are pretenders, but like the needles, like very close on them. I, I just haven't seen enough out of them and they've, they've gotten lucky in some games. To me, that's the best game of the weekend is bills Cardinals mm-hmm. after now that the Cardinals lost to Miami but Seattle lost, so the division's still right there. Mm-hmm. And Buffalo, they're obviously fighting for position in uh, the playoff picture. So both those teams need that game. I think we'll find out a lot about uh, about Buffalo. I'm with you, though, and most of it's just because of the history of these franchises. Tennessee was just in the AFC title game last year, so I know that in December, January football, they can win games. And the Bills – they made the playoffs last year. They made it a couple years ago, but they've been 0-2 in those games. So until I can see them win games in the playoffs, I'm truly not sold on those two teams yet. So if I had to lean aside, I would agree with you and say that the Titans are, would be a contender. The Bills, jury's still out on that. All right, PJ. We're on to yours. The Ravens, 6-2. and two, second Oh, here in the we north. go. Contenders here we go. Pretenders. I'm going to let you go first. Contenders or pretenders? Okay, so I think the Ravens are contenders, and here's why. I don't think they can beat the Chiefs yet. The Steelers, though, I I think that you could argue that they are a better team than the Steelers. They should have won that game on Sunday. I don't think anybody can argue that. I do think the rematch on Thanksgiving, I think they're going to win that game. I think when they're healthy, they have the best defense in football, if not one of the top two or three. Their run game, obviously, is the best in football when they're healthy and clicking. Ronnie Stanley's a huge loss. Mm -hmm. But I got to say, you know, when he exited in the Steelers game, they still ran the ball really, really well. And in the second half against the Colts, who have the number two run defense, they really started to run the ball well. Joe, we've been texting out of the podcast, and we kind of have the same thoughts on the Ravens and how they're trying to develop Lamar. They're trying to turn him into something he's not. Mm-hmm. Lamar will never be Russell Wilson. He'll never be Patrick Mahomes. He'll never even be Kyler Murray or, or Josh Allen level capability as a thrower. But what makes him so dynamic and unique and what made him MVP is his athleticism. Mm-hmm. And you just have to cater toward that. And, you know, I knew this new era of football, teams don't want to establish the run and stick to it. And you feel like you have to throw the football. The Ravens are the one team that should never – feel like they have to stay balanced. If the run is working, don't stop running, okay? Hollywood Brown, I think, can be a good receiver in this league if he finds the right team. Mark Andrews has established that he can be a very good tight end. Um, I think the Hayden Hurst trade really, really hurt them. Having those In hindsight, that that did put a little bit of a damper on their offense because that two tight end set was incredible for them. Well, three tight end set because they had Boyle. Yeah, they had Boyle on the field too. Calais Campbell's a great player. The value, I mean, you can't argue with the trade and what you've got. But with Yannick as well. Yeah, but uh, but looking back, I mean, having those three tight ends was so so huge for them. I say two tight end because I look at it as a two two receivers, and then Boyle's more in there to block. Right. And now Boyle's still more of a blocking tight end, but they're asking him to be more of a receiving tight end. He right. can't really do it. So now it's kind of a one and a half tight end set as opposed to last year where you had three tight ends all doing what they're good at. Hurst and Andrews pass catching and Boyle blocking. So you went from a three tight end set to now kind of a one and a half tight end set. And it's hurt them more than, than I thought, than I think they thought it would. Right. 
I, I still think they're a contender, though, because I agree. I agree. I, I think they can. I think they're better than Pittsburgh. I think they're even. I, I won't I, go that far. I won't I, go that far. I, 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 I think. I think they're tough. contenders. They're contenders, absolutely. Um, I agree with what you said. We were texting, like we said, we were texting about this off, aside from the podcast, where it's just a matter of they're trying to make Lamar become, like you said, just in the other mold of those guys and go along with the flow of the NFL, almost how, like we were talking about before, that uh, Bama has kind of looked around the college football landscape and they're playing to be an offensive team now as opposed to a defensive juggernaut. So they're looking around them instead of just putting the blinders on and doing what they're good at. And it's, it's costed them in the big games. And, it was costing them in the first half against the Colts. They snapped out of it in the second half, but they were on their way to possibly being in another close one and losing that one as well. So if they are of the mindset of last year, they're legit contenders. If they start trying to push Lamar to be something he's not, they will fall into being pretenders because they just, he, they just can't do it. He is, we know what he is. He is elite unanimous MVP. If he's doing what he's supposed to do and is good at, right. if they try to do something else, things change. Um, I, I don't think they're at as complete of a team as the Steelers, though. And, yes, they, they should have won that game based on the ball control and stuff. But when it comes down to it, teams are – you could see in the way they're playing, teams aren't necessary. they're almost employing this sort of bend-don't-break mentality against the Ravens. The Chiefs did it, too. The yeah. Chiefs let them drive down the field a few times. You hold them to a situation where do they opt to go for it on fourth and short? Do they kick a field goal? So that's the – MO teams are using now against the Ravens and they got to figure that out. They got to figure out how to get over that hump. Now that teams are starting to kind of figure it out. You know, we point to the numbers. Sure. They're still, the numbers are still kind of there. They're not what they were last year, but they're kind of there. But the difference is the efficiency and scoring. It's not there because again, teams are just treating them differently. And Lamar again, in, in the biggest games against the biggest teams, like the argument we had a few weeks ago, he kind of reverts to a different version of himself. Three fumbles, two lost, and two picks against the Steelers. You can't have that. You can't have that as you get into the games against the better teams. They're going to have plenty of opportunities, like you said, to continue to show themselves against the good teams. Now, I think they should stomp the Patriots this week. They just almost lost to the Jets. The Patriots are horrendous. Yeah, uh, this is not the Patriots of the past. But the next two weeks after that, we will get a good barometer I Home do against think the Titans at the Steelers back to back weeks. So I actually think they're going to lose to the Titans, but I think they're going to beat the Steelers. Is, I could is, see is that look ahead. I, I, I agree with that logic. Um, it's tough for either of these teams to sweep a season set. So I agree that they'll probably go ahead and, and squeak one out against the Steelers. Uh, that's a game when the time comes that I'm staying away from all picks regarding that game because you just uh, never know in that. Right. And again, as we've talked outside the podcast, I've told you, I think at times their offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator for the Ravens have been their biggest crutches. Greg yep. Roman's play calling at time. I just, I've not agreed with it all. And defensively, Joe, I think Wink Martindale needs to call more games like he did against Indianapolis this week because he didn't have Marlon Humphrey. He was a little more cautious, yeah. and he gave his corners a little more cushion with his safeties back there instead of bringing those all-out blitzes that he loves to bring. And I just – against Kansas City and Pittsburgh, you need to do more of that. Because he has Peters and Humphrey, he feels like that he blitzes because those guys can shut yep. down the receivers. 
And but you now, have a great pass rush, so just rush four and let your secondary play back. And now quick before we just run through the rest of the AFC's kind of muddled group before we get over to the NFC, uh, one thing to keep in the back of your mind, I think the Ravens are going to have a big problem in the first round of the playoffs. You look at their schedule beyond these next couple of games when they'll play after the Patriots, they'll play the Titans and the Steelers. They go home Dallas at Cleveland, home Jacksonville, home Giants at Bengals. They don't have another test on their schedule. <laughs> and the one thing that we've seen from the Ravens is they'll go through these games against the lesser teams where they can coast by them because they don't really, they don't really, they're just in a different tier. They coasted by Washington. They coasted by the Bengals. They clammed up a little bit against the Eagles. Look ahead to the Steelers game. So they had those where they're not really kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron, that whole thing. They're not really going up against great competition to kind of hone their craft, sharpen things and get set for that, you know, playing the, the best of the best. They have, cupcake 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 to end the season and with the seven team playoff format they're going to probably find themselves on the road against the bills or the titans in the first round of the playoffs and if there's a slip up somewhere from the chiefs they could even be playing the chiefs in that first game so unless they claw (laughs) back unless they claw back and somehow get beyond the steelers now with a two-game separation between them they're going to have a very tough matchup against teams that have shown the blueprint. The Titans beat them last year. The Bills gave them a fit last year. They can't beat the Chiefs. They're going to play one of those teams in the first round after five cupcakes where they haven't really been tested. So something to keep in the back of your mind that it could be setting up for another first-round exit. Now, uh, that crop, let's run through it. Raiders, 5-3. Dolphins, 5-3. Browns, 5-3. Colts, 5-3. PG, I'm just going to go out and say it. I think all these teams are pretenders. I think when it comes down to it, none of these teams would give a scare to any of the teams they'd match up with in the playoffs. The only one, the only one, the best chance out of all of them is the Colts. I think if the, I think the Colts are the team where I think they will rise to the top of that pile and probably come in at about the six or seven seed. Uh, I don't know that they'll overtake the Titans. And I think the Titans will put their stamp on the division with a win over the Colts on Thursday night. Uh, But the Colts, they could put it together because they have a good defense, because they have a good O-line, because they got a good veteran in Rivers who isn't playing well at all. But when it comes down to it, maybe he kind of remembers who he is and, and puts it together. They've got three running backs who are looking good. So they have the pieces to, to yeah. give a team a scare in that first round. You know, if it's, if it's the Colts as a six seed against a inexperienced three-seeded Bills team, if it's a six-seeded Colts team against a three-seeded Titans team in a division matchup like that, they could give a scare. But none of those four teams, Vegas, Miami, Cleveland, Indy, are legit threats to make any sort of deep playoff run. Maybe they take a game in the first round. That's about it. I was going to ask you who you liked of the five and three teams. For me, it's, it's, I think it's Miami, honestly. Colts have the best roster, but I think Rivers just kills. At River, they should start Rivers is, yeah. Yeah, I don't they think they should start Brissett because we saw Brissett, and I don't think it's a better alternative. Uh, I think all they got to really do is just hope that Rivers starts to make better decisions and they can rely heavier on the run game. Taylor hasn't become what we thought he was going to become as quickly as we thought he was going to become that guy. Mm-hmm. So if he could start to put it together and look like the guy who dominated at Wisconsin, there could be some noise to be made out of Indianapolis. But 
all these my, all these teams that are released. Yeah. No, okay. I'm with. They're all pretenders. I just do like Miami though because of Brian, Brian Flores. I think yes. he's the most underrated coach in football. He's best fantastic. Coach, best coach in the AFC East? Question mark. Uh oh, in the AFC. right now, right, right now. now, right now. I mean, Belichick's still the best. He, he just – he has nothing to work with. Yeah. Um, now, if you're going to ask who's better between McDermott and Flores, that's a good debate. Okay. I, would give, I would give it to Flores, though. Um, I would and agree. It's not, and it's not necessarily because of how Tua looks Sunday. It's how the defense is playing with Tua. It's the game plan with Tua. And notice how we didn't even mention Adam Gase in the game. <laughs> oh, he's the best one. He's the best one. Um, he's in a tier of his own. It's just right. underneath everybody else. The two teams, though, if I'm a fan of, that I'd be excited about for the next three, four years, the Miami Dolphins, the Carolina Panthers. Absolutely. Your future with those head coaches and their – it's not farm systems in football, but yeah. they're kind of their crop of talent. Um, a lot to be excited about. NFC, Joe, I think the top seven are going to be your playoff teams. Saints, yes. Seahawks, Packers, Eagles win the NFC least, Bucks, Cardinals, Rams. The Bears, great defense, but that offense is just god-awful. I think we've finally seen the separation point in the NFC. Yeah. I yep. think we were waiting to see, you know, the Niners, what would they look like? Well, then all the injuries happen. Right, and they're right. Happen. Yeah, they're done. The Bears, they're showing their true colors. Yes. I agree for the most part that those seven teams are the seven teams. If there's going to be one flip-flop, yep. there's going to be one flip-flop. You're thinking what I'm thinking. If there's one flip-flop, it's the Vikings swapping with the Rams. That's my yeah. one that I'm looking at because Cook is playing MVP caliber right now at running back. This was a team that a lot of people were picking to win the NFC North. They couldn't put anything together the first few weeks. Some close, heartbreaking losses. They're starting to look like the team we thought they could be. Big win on the road against the Packers. Dominant win against the Lions. I think they pick up the win Monday night against the Bears. Then they're home against the Cowboys. Home against the Panthers. Home against the Jaguars. PJ, this is a 3-5 and five team. Even if you want to say they slip up once, in that group of five games, one, two, three, excuse me, once in that group of four games, that's a team that is now six and six, PJ. I know. And then six you and look at Arizona teams. and the Rams and the division they play in. I mean, they're just going to beat each other up. So the Vikings are, up. they're a good call. And Joe, you just, I mean, the Falcons, God, you got to, I mean, the Cowboys game, the Bears game. If yep. you just have, I mean, two of those games. And, and they're you're right, right there. there. And this is when they always get hot. Is this Always. time of the season? This is why Quinn saved his job the last couple. Right. Of years. So I would not be surprised if the Falcons finish eight and eight. Um, They'll so they, come close. They, they should I have been the, ten and six. I think the Vikings are the one team that could flip flop, and I, I'm I with picked you. The, I picked the Rams as opposed to the Cardinals to be the team that falls out because I think the Cardinals are the better team. I think again the Rams. The jury is still very much out on them. They squeaked by the Cowboys. They beat the Eagles. They should have beaten the Bills. I'll give them that. They, yes. With the flags late in that game that were questionable, they probably yeah. should have beaten the Bills. Yeah. But then they beat the Giants by eight. They killed Washington, of course. They lost to a Niners team that was kind of decimated. They beat a Bears team. And then they lost to the Dolphins. So it's a team that, again, has only beaten the NFC least plus the Bears. That's not impressive. Right. That's not impressive. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Do you this think – This week they – Probably they probably lose to the Seahawks this week. Then they go at the Bucks on Monday night. So it's a team that is currently five and three and could very easily be five and five. Now 
like I said, I went through it. A few weeks from now, we could be looking at a 6-6 six and six Vikings team, the way their schedule sets up. We could be looking at a 5-5 five and five Rams team. Now their next two games to get them on equal footing with uh, the Vikings through 12 games, their next two games after that are at the Cardinals, home in the Patriots. That looks to me like another split for the Rams. So we're looking at possibly both of those teams after December 10th being 6-6 six and six and being tied. And I yeah. can very much see that happening. It could. Um, after what you saw Sunday night, we asked this question to James. Are the Saints the team to beat for you? I think so. I'm not saying anything with certainty in the NFC because everybody has at some point looked like that team, right? You, you said it when the Packers were – looking great until they ran into the Bucks, And then after the Bucks did that to the Packers, we were like, oh, maybe it's the Bucks." And then the Seahawks have just continued to roll. And then they stumble against the Cardinals and then lose again on the road against the Bills. And in that same week, the Saints shellac the Bucks, And it's just a big circle of who actually is the best team. Um, it's going to make did for look a really lot. fun postseason. Yeah, Mike Thomas, I mean, that offense just immediately looked different with him. I still – my reservation with the Saints, though, is, while, yes, it looks very different with Michael Thomas and Drew Brees can still do damage in the short to intermediate game, he can't throw deep. He physically can't throw deep. And will that hurt them against the better teams? Uh, I'm going to say that the Saints, Seahawks, Packers, Bucks are all legit contenders. Anyone else is a pretender for me. I agree. And I think those seven teams, the only flip-flop is maybe the Vikings and the Rams. I But agree. it's going to make for an incredible, incredible couple will, weeks of the NFC playoffs. Arizona has the offense to knock somebody out. I don't think they can contend for a Super Bowl. But, uh, man, C- uh, Seattle's offense is just so damn good. And, and they're getting you, Carson back. Uh, see, that's that, they miss they – miss, because they need that bruiser inside. DK Metcalf is the closest thing we've seen to Megatron. He just he doesn't look human on a football field. Absolutely. He's so and, large. And the Packers, um, can yeah, they the, stop? You, you start looking at matchups. All right, the Bucks got Rojo and Fournette. The Packers – I mean, excuse me, the Seahawks have Carson. The Saints have Kamara. We've seen the Packers can't stop anybody's running back. Right. So you start getting into the matchups, Dan, and, and everybody, everybody's strength – plays into an opponent's weakness and vice versa. The NFC playoffs are going to be phenomenal. It's going to be a great sprint to the finish. That's, I why, that's why we wanted to tackle the AFC first because the AFC yeah. is more structured than the NFC. No uh, but it's, it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, both playoffs. It's kind of right now the NFL is Kansas City. Pittsburgh is really good. And then you got, like, the Ravens, Saints, Seahawks, Packers, Bucks. I mean, yes. that's, that's really what it is. Maybe Titans, Bills in that mix. But, and uh, the MVP race, too, heating up because Rodgers is right there. Mahomes is right there. Wilson, after the last game and a half, has kind of taken a couple yeah. of steps back to the pack. Yeah. Mahomes so, is elevating a bit. I think Kamara should be up there because Kamara should be when, they, if, when they were struggling. If the Vikings get dragged into the playoffs by Cook, oh doubt, yeah. he all of a sudden is in it. And there was a great moment in the Lions game against the Vikings the other day where they cut to a camera shot of Adrian Peterson reacting to a Dalvin Cook run. And there was just something so meta <laughs> oh, about that's that. Awesome. You, have, you have Adrian Peterson now on the Lions watching Dalvin Cook for the Vikings do exactly what Adrian Peterson did a few years ago in Adrian Peterson's MVP season when he just dragged the dead carcass that was the team around him to the playoffs. 
some way, somehow. And that's what Cook is now doing. And Peterson was there on the sideline to watch it and just kind of gave it a, a nod of approval. That was a really cool moment. That's, that's awesome. That is really, really funny. Um, all right, Joe, we did best bets with Jenks. So we'll get uh, right in the trivia. We got a tie ball game. Or, excuse me, you're winning. I'm up. Don't shortchange me here, PJ. Ten and a half to nine and a half. Ten you're and right. Half you, got, you got it. You're on top. Um, yeah, you've been hot the past couple weeks. I think I've been going easy on you. So this week made it, made it a little bit tougher for you. Okay, okay. I mean, there was no way I wasn't giving you a master's question. Absolutely. So, Joe, your question, just need two answers from you this week. But, but it's, it's, it's a tough one. So we'll see how well you know your golfers. There are two players inside the top 30 of the official world golf ranking that are not playing at the Masters. Not playing. That are not playing. Oh, I got no shot at this, but let's get it. <laughs> Whenever you are ready. All right. So, I got no shot at this. So, just start naming some golfers, top yeah, yeah, 30. So, so, here's the thing. Without any – there hasn't really been a big buildup. So I haven't paid attention to the rankings. So the top 30 isn't even something that's been on my mind. Now, I, I will say and, one of these guys you have picked to win when we were previewing golf. Okay. He was okay. hot early in the year when gotcha. the restart. Gotcha. So, ah, man, this is going to be rough. Um, the second guy, I, I, I'm pretty sure you've, you've heard of. I mean, you, you should. You should have heard. All right. Um, Rankings wise, so you got is, 45 seconds left. Yeah, is oh, see here, it might be, be. I don't know if this will count or where he is in the rankings. Is Sergio one of them because of the positive? He is COVID not, test? He is no, not. he is not, okay. but that is that is good. No, all right, so it's not that. Nope. Um, that was the first thing I thought Three of. Seconds, yeah. Um, oh gosh, um, that guy's not right that high. Um. Ooh. Um. That's not playing. Oh, I got no shot. I'm gonna seconds. fold. I'm gonna you're, fold. I'm just gonna, gonna fold. fold. Yeah. Okay. So Daniel Berger is one of them. Oh Number my 13. god. That's yep. who I thought you were gonna get. Is 13. The other one is 23. Victor Hovland. Oh, okay. I I I don't think I would. I didn't realize. So that's the thing. Like I I've been so focused on you know looking at the odds for the week top 10 guys who I'm looking to play on and. I just haven't gone beyond that, so I, I wouldn't even notice that there. Yeah. But no, that's yeah, a, there, there was a big thing because Burgers ranked 13 in the world, yeah. but he couldn't get exempt to get in. And then Hovland that. was the low am at the Masters last year, and yeah. he's not playing this year. So right. I thought maybe you had no, no. It was that was a fair. That was a that wasn't one of the ones where I'm like PJ, come on now, like that's <laughs> ridiculous. That was a fair question, just totally totally blank because golf has not really been prevalent on the brain right now, but it will be. Yes. Starting this time. Well, again, we're recording on Wednesday, so starting this time tomorrow. Yeah. On that couch with Georgia on my mind. PJ, oh, my for you. My question for you. I knew you'd go golf, so I wanted to not both go golf. Yeah. Um, as I watched the Steve Cohen press conference yesterday, I just got so excited uh, that everybody now is going to be a Met, and we have so much money to throw around. And Springer's going to get a big deal from the Mets, and Real Muto's going to get a sizable deal from the Mets, and they're going to trade for Frankie Lindor and give him a huge deal. Anyway, um, got me thinking. I want you to give me, of the top uh, – see, one of them's a tie. Um, okay, so of the top six most lucrative contracts, 
in MLB history yeah. from a free agent. So it doesn't include like a trout extension from a free agent. Gotcha. I want you to give me five of the seven. Again, it's, it's technically six because two of them were the exact same contract. Right. Two of them were the exact same deal. So there's two contracts that are tied for six. So there's seven. Yep. I want you to give me five of the seven most lucrative free agent contracts in MLB, in MLB history. And like your time it. starts now. Uh, Stanton is one of them. Stanton is not one of them because, as I said, Stanton counted as traded? an extension because he was traded from the Marlins to the Yankees, so he counts uh, strike one. I don't remember if he was traded or not. All right, that's, that's uh, the tricky part of this. you got to yeah. remember who is an extension. Scherzer? I gave you Trout. Scherzer. Scherzer is not one of them. Two strikes. All right, let's see. Mookie signed an extension. Trout signed an extension. Um, I mean, A-Rod signed a massive, massive deal did he get traded david price signed a massive massive deal i'll go with those two a rod and david price uh a rod is correct david twice. price is not <laughs> david price is not so that's it oh you got me <laughs> that um, was the, that was the trick for this question it was remembering who was an extension who wasn't i gave you trout because you were obviously going to remember that trout was an extension yeah that let was me the see. key um yeah i lost but let me see if i can get any more uh yeah, Miguel Cabrera was an extension. Oh, Pujols? Pujols just outside as far as the lucrative part of the deal. He is eighth, 10 years, 240. So the seven that I was looking at, the seven yeah. that I was looking at, number one was Bryce Harper, 13 years, 330. Oh, uh, yeah, true. That was number one. Machado. Number two, no, number two, Garrett Cole, nine years, 324. Number three, Machado, 10 for 300. Number four, A-Rod for the Yankees, 10 for 275. Number five, A-Rod for the Rangers, 10 for 252. And then the tie at sixth, and that's why I gave you that subtle hint of they were the exact same contract. I thought you'd get it. You're not a Nats guy. You're an O's guy, but you're in D.C., you know. Last year, same exact contract, seven years, 245, Rendon and Strasburg just last year. That's tied for sixth. They got the same year. Same year, same money, seven years, 245. So Rendon was the right answer. It wasn't Strasburg because he resigned, obviously. Correct. No, no, no. It was because he opted for free agency and then signed his deal. So Strasburg was also correct. Uh, Remember that last year? That was the whole yeah, thing, yeah, like, ticking down. He yeah, opted for yeah. free agency and then resigned. Uh, anyway, because remember, he was, they were talking about him going back to San Diego with the Padres and stuff. So Yeah, I'm a dummy. I overthought <laughs> that one. I mean, I should have gotten Cole and Harper and Manny. Oh, so, Since I asked for five of the seven, was I, thought, I thought you were going to get it, especially yeah. especially because A-Rod, you counted for two, so I thought you were going to get it. But I like, mean, sometimes I, sometimes I over – Maybe I get David Price. <laughs> yeah, Scherzer. <laughs> Man, you got me. I, I thought I thought Stanton was one for sure. So he got traded from the Marlins to the Yankees. Traded from the Marlins to the Yankees once Jeter got there, and then it was signed. It was he was signed after that. Who was like the big prospect that they gave up? They didn't give up anything. That was the whole thing. Why it was a stupid trade, and nobody <laughs> knew what the hell the Marlins were doing. Oh my goodness! They got Starlin Castro in that deal. Oh that like yeah, yeah. God bless the Marlins. Yeah. God bless them. <laughs> I mean, they, they really had it all and blew it. I mean, RIP Jose Fernandez, but they had yeah. Stanton, Real Muto, Ozuna. Yelich. Yelich, Yelich. I forgot about Yelich. I had know. It all. God, they had so much. That's wild. Uh, Joe, great, and I mean great weekend of sports. Mask, 
something we didn't talk about that I can't wait to watch is college game day at the Masters. Oh, yes. They, oh, yes. They're going to be set up at the par three. I kind of wish they were set up behind the 18th hole or behind the ninth hole. So when guys are making the turn, maybe they'd uh, wave True. at somebody or something. I'm interested to see what Corso does with the headgear. Like, does he oh. put on the headgear of, like, a golfer? Does he or, put on a green jacket and then put on the headgear? What does he put on a green jacket? Put on a green jacket and then put on the headgear. Yeah, I didn't think of that either. Or I guess what's the big game? Michigan-Wisconsin? Because that's where Herbie and Oof. Fowler will be. Uh, I guess so, yeah. That'll, that'll the be schedule's good. been so decimated, I don't even know anymore. Yeah, he so. should have put on uh, Testudo, baby. That should have <laughs> been the guy this week. That's bummed that that guy canceled. I was looking yeah. for that. But yeah, great, uh, obviously, Masters. NFL and college football, and then NBA draft next week. Kind of, and we got plenty to talk about next week. Plenty, absolutely. Well. We Yelp, got, thanks again to Jay so much for we coming so on. Much, Great seeing him again. Great talking to him. Joe it was nice seeing for everybody watching on YouTube. Your backdrop again. Oh yeah, at your house. Back, back home. Back, back where home. we started. And wow. hey, we both got to kind of rebound here in the best bets. You got two last week. You I took to the 20. lead for the you first took the lead time. Again. Yeah. 20. 21 and 24, and I'm 20 and 25. I had a brutal week this past. I can't believe that Jets Patriots game went over. I can't believe that went over. (laughs) I can't believe that went over. Um, I mean, I I thought I felt really good about the Bucks, and then that whole thing happened. I thought they were going to kind of assert themselves after losing to the Saints the first time. Wild, wildly missed this week. Wildly missed everything. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's why the buildings in Vegas keep growing. Oh, yes. They make a lot of money off people. Oh, yeah. So hopefully our bets do well this week. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you all uh, next week for episode 20. Quarter of the way to 100. Uh, That's right.